Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This segment is brought to you by Jigmaster Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and use promo code PNF20 and save 20% off your next jig order today. Hello, and welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast. This is Adventures with Outdoor Woman, and here's your host, this is Susie Roloff. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures with Outdoor Woman, and I am your host, Susie Roloff, and today I've got another epic guest Mr. Rob Wendell, and he is the main uh, dude out of Lake Michigan Angler Shop, and he is a regional Hobie fishing team member, so let's welcome him on the show today, boys and girls, and we're going to switch things up a little bit. Instead of bass fishing, we're going to be talking salmon and trout today. So without further ado, I'm going to let Rob talk for a little bit, tell him about uh, himself, what he does, and how he got into everything, and we'll go from there. All right, well, thanks for having me, Susie. Um, I started kayak fishing on Lake Michigan, I think, 15 or 16 years ago, so I've been doing it a long time. Um, And mainly I got into it because I was sick of shore fishing while I was in college. (laughs) Um, Grew up fishing for everything, bass, walleye, muskie. And uh, when I was in college, I was fishing for trout and salmon a lot and uh, just really sick of fishing from shore, watching boats around me, catching fish when I wasn't. And so I just was one day, I was just thinking, I bet I could put a couple rod holders on a kayak and catch some trout and salmon. And uh, so started kind of Googling things and realized that people actually do that or were doing that already, um, mainly out on the east and west coast. And then a few guys on Lake Michigan. Um, so I bought myself a kayak. It's a cheapo one. And uh, I sit on top. And the day I got it, I put two rod holders on it and went straight out into Lake Michigan. And I'd never kayaked before in my life. Um, 
it was definitely one of these stories of don't do what I did. Um, <laughs> it's really windy. It was about a 25 mile an hour west wind. Oh, and so, you know, like near shore is nice and calm on a west wind. It's deceiving. And that's what gets a lot of kayakers in trouble. Uh, luckily, I didn't get in trouble, but I just trolled straight out. I was running Dodgers and uh, and flies for Spring Coho and uh, just kept going east. <laughs> and just kept going east. And finally realized, you know, I kind of looked over my shoulder. I wasn't very comfortable in the boat. Looked over my shoulder behind me and realized I was really far from shore. Um, I'm not sure to this day how far from shore I was. I didn't have a GPS. I didn't have any good equipment. Um, but I knew I needed to turn around. And uh, I turned around. And when I finally turned around, I slowed down enough to actually catch a fish. Um, and it was I was probably like a minute or so going back west. And I had I was trolling three rods, and I had like a spinning rod just flatlined behind me with a little uh, jointed Rapala, and it just started screaming line. And uh, I was kind of in disbelief. I was like, I must be been snagged on a on a floating log or something out there. And uh, ended up being a nice king salmon, like 13 pounds, and it screwed up all everything I was doing. And I somehow <laughs> managed to land this fish, and by the time I landed, it was pretty much dead. Uh, since it was such a long, long fight on really light line and everything. And, but I realized at that point, like, this wasn't just a way for me to get away from shore. This was a new way of fishing. That was, you know, what I was then addicted to. Um, it was definitely different than shore fishing and definitely different from boat fishing. Uh, so that's what got me started. And, uh, so what I've been doing ever since it's basically, uh, the only way I really want to fish is in a kayak. So <laughs> it was That's definitely awesome. a big, yeah, real learning experience for me out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely don't want to be doing something like that. You know, if it's your first time, you know, unless you're having a really lucky day, but yeah, uh, you know, there weren't people around saying, Hey, that's not what you should do. <laughs> and, you know, like, Hey, you know, these days there's, there's all sorts of people saying, Hey, you know, take it to a small lake and, and dump the thing over and learn how to get back in it and make sure you're comfortable. I didn't, I wasn't comfortable at all in this boat. I just went for it. And, uh, I wasn't even com comfortable enough to, uh, grab the pliers to unhook the fish. So <laughs> I had to paddle back to shore. This is a small kayak. Yeah. It was like 11 and a half foot kingfisher. I don't think they even make them anymore. And, uh, I had the fish in the net in my lap with the, you know, two sets of trebles in its mouth. And I, I, like I said, I couldn't get to the pliers. I couldn't get the hooks out of its mouth. And I just paddled all the way back to shore, just thinking, I hope this fish does not wake up and start shaking around because I knew I was in, <laughs> with all those troubles, I was going to be in, in some trouble. So luckily it was done. I made it back to shore and, uh, learned a lot of lessons that day. <laughs> right. <laughs> My gosh. Well, I mean, what a heck of an adventure to start everything out with. So mm -hmm. yeah, sounds like it started as an addiction right away. So um, what kind of led you to, uh, you know, the Lake Michigan angler shop and uh, fishing out of Hobies and all that other stuff? Well, uh, I think when I was, well, when I was in college, I was already kind of working part-time for Gander in the fishing department. And, uh, even after college, uh, when I was doing kind of fi some financial and insurance stuff, I was still working part-time and uh, kind of started realizing I didn't really like doing what I was doing, but I liked selling fish and stuff. And then we had the opportunity to open the store and uh, 
just went with it and uh it's kind of the trout and salmon superstore you know uh so and we have a little bit of everything there's more than just trout and salmon gear in there but it's definitely our niche is trout and salmon and then uh, back in actually a couple years before we opened the store is the year they came out with the first pro angler when hobie came out with the first pro angler which i think was 2009 or 2010 that's when they asked me to be on the hobie team so uh i've been on the hobie team since then fishing out of pro anglers and uh yeah the rest is kind of history now so Right. Yeah. And, you know, not only do you fish out of the regular pro angler, but you also fish out of that tandem one too, right? Yeah, the tandem 17. That's a really cool boat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a cool boat. Um, it's, it's an aircraft carrier, that's for sure. <laughs> but once you're on the water with it, and especially with two people, we do a lot of fun stuff, um, troll, especially trolling with it, because uh, you can get so many rods in the water. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we're, you know, trout and salmon fishing is going to be a lot of trolling. Not always, but, you know, during certain times of year, you definitely have to troll. And uh, so that boat allows me to get six rods in the water when there's somebody else with me. And it's just kind of fun doing it. Um, You know, kind of showing off to the the bigger boats that we can get all those rods out with planer boards and divers and everything. And a lot of times, I'll fish those guys. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we're going through a lot of the same water, but uh, those trout and salmon are very uh spooky fish um and they've they have really good senses and they definitely like to be in clear water so they can see boats and hear boats and smell things from very very long way away and the kayak really sneaks up on them and so when we get that 17 footer out there and we run planer boards and we get the lines really spread out and um cover a lot of water it's a lot of fun fishing that way and we don't just do it for trout and salmon too uh we do it for walleye and We've done Green Bay for muskies with it, and uh, it's a really cool boat. Super stable. Get two people standing up casting from it, and so that's a fun one. Nice. Um. So yeah. So um. Man, I had a really good question. I just lost my train of thought. Um. <laughs> but um. So talking about you know salmon fishing and trout fishing, you know, it's a lot different than bass fishing, which you know is kind of you know, what our Paddle and Finn podcast kind of talks about majority, but, you know, I thought I'd bring you on to kind of change things up a little bit. So, you know, you're mentioning like flashers and stuff like that, you know, to some of our watchers and listeners are probably like, well, what the heck is that? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, can you explain any of the, uh, you know, gear and lures and stuff that you use? Yeah. So speaking, I've got a Dodger right here. All right. One of my favorite ones, actually. Um, and this is, a typical springtime uh, bait for coho salmon. And it'll catch other trout and salmon too, but a little red dodger. This one's called a stubby dodger. And uh, a small fly like this. Uh, Hold up the fly a little bit. Oh, there you go. <laughs> all right. And, uh, yeah, for some reason I can't see my, myself on there. So now let me fix that. I might have just screwed it up. But anyways, so what the dodger does is it's an attractor and it adds action to the fly. So it's going to be going through the water like this, and then the fly just kind of goes behind it. So they'll see this from a really long way away, and then they come up and check it out. They see the fly coming behind it, and they eat the fly. Um, spring coves in particular are just suckers for it. They're pretty easy fish to catch. So they're actually pretty good fish for people who that aren't used to fishing for trout and salmon to target. 
because they are very, very aggressive. They're not picky. And on top of that, they're really good eating fish. And yes, they are. <laughs> you don't have to really worry about catch and release with these fish. It's pretty much all stocked. Um, so just go ahead and eat them and don't feel guilty about it, you know. <laughs> and, and and chances are that they're not going to uh, survive being released anyways. Um, once you net them, once you handle those fish, they're they're probably going to die. If you grab a fish, like, a small coho um and wipe that slime off it's probably gonna be stressed enough that it won't it won't survive and half the time they get to hook down in the gills anyways so um so go ahead and eat them but yeah they're they're a lot of fun um the one thing about them is you're typically fishing outside the break walls for them so you have to be a little more careful there um whereas like right now i'm you know i've been fishing for brown trout and i've spent all my time fishing inside the break walls and uh so it's a little more beginner friendly there because you don't have to worry about um, the weather quite as much and everything. You're, you have a little bit of a safety net there. There's always a, a place to get out of the water inside the harbors and you're sheltered from a lot of the weather. So that's kind of nice too. The brown trout are a little bit pickier fish, but um, the cool thing about them is they're going to eat a lot of the baits that you can catch bass and walleye on. Okay. And there's a million different ways to catch them too. <laughs> right kind of like bass too <laughs> yeah yeah nice so brown trout like right now that's what we're fishing for the most um like i said you can catch them on flicker shad you can catch them on square bills jerk baits husky jerks you want to run swim jigs especially like hair jigs for um those will work little tube jigs uh anywhere from like little crappie size to to bigger bass size there's just endless ways to catch them flukes and and it's just a matter on like what day, which one they want to bite. But uh, so anybody can go catch them with their regular bass or walleye or even crappie gear, um, and and be successful. So that's the cool thing about them. Nice. So when you're talking spring fishing, um, so you don't really necessarily have to go out into big water, you know, like on Lake Michigan itself, you can kind of stay relatively close to the marinas and the uh, shores and whatnot, and even up rivers. Yeah, you know, in the spring and the fall in particular, um, there's going to be fish either inside the harbors, inside the break walls, or right around them. Uh, so you don't have to be exposed. It's a little less intimidating for a lot of people that aren't used to being in the big water. So you basically have these little small waters that are attached to the big water, and they can be pretty good fishing. And all year round, you know, there's really good bass and pike in all these harbors that you can catch when there's not trout and salmon around. Um, but yeah, like from this moment ice is out, uh, that's usually when I'll start fishing in there. Like I want to be the first guy in the Harbor as soon as it melts. And, um, the Brown trout are usually pretty fired up and depending on the Harbor, sometimes a steelhead too, if the conditions are right. Um, cause they're all going to be in there in the spring. Uh, steelhead are going to be getting ready to stage to go, and they have been to go upriver, and they're already upriver now. But right at ice out, if you don't have a lot of uh, a lot of runoff, then the steelhead will stage down in the harbor at the like the river mouth, um, and that can be a lot of fun too, because uh, they're a lot more aer aerobatic than the brown trout. So nice. and they and they and they're hitting crankbaits and stuff, and I guess you can catch those on your bass gear as well. Nice. So how many different species of like salmon and trout are there to catch in Lake Michigan? 
it's mainly five. Like, there's five main ones. So you have Chinook salmon, coho salmon, brown trout, rainbow, and lake trout. Um, occasionally, you'll see some other ones, like Atlantic salmon and uh, pink salmon. That, I mean, some years you see it more than others. Uh, they're not really stocked in Lake Michigan, but they do have some natural reproduction on the north end of the lake and some fish that come in from Lake Huron. And now, uh, again, they're going to be stocking brook trout, um, coaster brook trout. So that'll be cool. They used to stock them back when I was a kid. So like 20 years ago, oh, wow. 20, 25 years ago, we used to catch really big brook trout. And then I think in the late 90s, they discontinued that. So that they're just starting to stock those this year. So in a couple of years, we'll have some big fish again. Nice. So uh, what's your biggest fish of which species, or I guess all the species that you've caught? Uh... Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. I don't even know what my biggest lake trout is. You know, I've had, I don't really fish for them that much. But uh, brown trout, 26 pounds. Oh. Kings, I've had over that, but I don't really weigh them too often. Um, coho, 13 pounds. Steelhead, around 15 pounds. Um, I'm, a, I'm a little different than a lot of the, especially kayak fishermen. I don't ever measure or weigh my fish. <laughs> so, you know, I'll get a picture and I throw it back if I can. Or it just gets the fillet knife and I don't think about it. <laughs> but, right. Um, <laughs> You know, I've had a lot of brown trout, you know, a pretty good amount of brown trout over 20 pounds, definitely a lot of them over 15 pounds. And really Lake Michigan is one of the best, if not the best uh, brown trout fishery in the world. Oh, nice. Especially for big, big browns. You know, we had the world record up until three years ago, which was 41 and a, right around 41 and a half pounds. Oh, man. And that was caught up in Racine. Uh, so yeah, there's the potential for some true giant fish and they're out there and, and actually right now they're bigger than they've been in a couple decades. Um, we, you know, over the years we had a little bit of an imbalance of, uh, predator to prey and fish started getting smaller. And now we have the opposite situation. We're starting to see a lot of 30 pound fish again. Nice. Yeah, I know, um, at the Great Lakes uh, Salmon Tournament in uh, Manitowoc uh, this past September, we didn't have a lot of fish, but the fish that were caught were big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the numbers aren't what they used to be, but when you get one, chances are it's going to be a really, really big fish. Yeah, I think uh, Keith, who took home first that day, he had been studying up for this one too, and I think his biggest fish was 30 or just over something like that. I mean, it was a big king salmon <laughs> mm -hmm. if you i mean go back like not even 10 years it was a struggle to get a 20 pounder like if you caught a 20 pounder that would might have that was probably gonna be your biggest fish of the year and you you could win some big money with that in a in a in a tournament and now if you look at some of these tournaments like salmon or ammo a 20 pounder is nowhere even near the top 100 <laughs> on the leaderboard um, right you know it's not even it, People don't even look at it like it's a, a big fish. It's just like that's a little guy now. Right, yeah. It's like us northerners looking at, uh, you know, the big Texas bass, you know, where they're average. You know, it's 10-pounders. We're like, oh, my God, that would be right. amazing for us, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, <coughs> excuse me, but uh, yeah, um, let's see here. So when it comes to um, like gear and equipment, when you're fishing for salmon, besides, you know, the tackle and stuff, what would you say is probably like the most important pieces to have? Uh, you know, it, you definitely want to have a marine radio, a handheld marine radio. Uh, you definitely want to have a GPS on your sonar, uh, maybe even a handheld, but I, I prefer to have a, a combo like on my sonar. Uh, those are important things, and you, you, you know, you need a little bit of safety equipment, you know, air horn or some sort of noise-making device, some flares, um, stuff like that. You need to take it definitely a, more, a little more seriously than when you're fishing on smaller lakes. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, you, you want some good rod holders. I use ram mounts. Um, they're just super strong and very adjustable. And I find you need to have a very adjustable rod holder. The position of your rod, um, the angle of it, depending on what you're doing, is kind of important. If you're just trolling around with uh, no kind of planing devices or anything, you want those rod tips right at the water level. You don't want them up in the air because uh, you're going to get a lot better depth control that way. Um, and then there's gonna be times where you're using a planer board or something. You might want that rod holder up higher. You can do that. So like the water kayaks come with molding rod holders and they don't really cut it for, if you're going to take it seriously enough, you know, they're not going to really cut it for trolling on Lake Michigan. And the other thing is official, these fish will just pull the rod right out of the rod holder. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, they don't mess around. So you want to, you want to have a good rod holder. I like using the the ram hd rod holders mm -hmm. you can't really go wrong with those um so those are i mean other than that you don't need a whole lot of stuff it's just going to be come down to your rods reels and lures mm -hmm. um but yeah like i mentioned planer boards a few times and this is what i use right here it's an offshore tackle planer board or 38 little mini board and i think this is probably the best board i've used for kayak fishing uh so if if guys or anybody wants to uh, start trolling, and that is a really useful tool for me. They're not hard to use. They, you know, basically the rod, the line comes from the rod, goes through this release, and through this back snap, and then to your bait. And uh, you just let it out however far you want to get out, and it's going to spread your lines out. And when a fish hits, the line pops out of this release, and then it just slides down whatever you have stopping it so usually i have like a bead and a swivel you know four or five feet up from my bait and that stops it from hitting the lure and mm -hmm. uh there's a lot of days where having that planer board makes a big difference yeah. so that's uh, a nice thing to have mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that's definitely one of my most important pieces of tackle yeah and what about uh, like uh, clothing and stuff like that? Do you ever wear um, like a dry suit or anything like that, or just kind of yeah? Basic? You know, it depends on what I'm doing. Um, when I'm fishing inside the harbors, especially the smaller harbors, a lot of times I don't bother wearing the full-on dry suit or even my dry top because a lot of times I'm only fishing for an hour or two. And in most of these small harbors, there's endless places to get out of the water. For some reason, I couldn't back get back in the kayak. And I'm only like 30 feet away from shore in a lot of the spots. Right. Yep. Um, so in those situations, I don't take the dry suit quite as seriously. But once you get outside the harbor, then you should at least wear something to keep you dry. Um, I know for a lot of people, full dry suits get pretty big commitment. Mm 
And uh, so I can't expect everybody to drop $800 or whatever on something like that. But at least, you know, like a lot of times I'll just wear a dry top and some light pants that don't get bogged down, you know, get real heavy if they're soaked. And um, that way, at least I'm protecting my core. It's Mm -hmm. not perfect. It's not as good as a dry top or dry suit, but um, it is better. And it uh, kind of depends on what I'm doing. But uh, that's an important thing. You know, I'm not going to wear heavy boots. If I do wear something, I'm going to be able to kick them off. Uh, I really avoid a lot of cotton. So it's all, you know, synthetic materials that wick away water really fast. So those are important things no matter what situation I'm in. Uh, It's pretty rare you see me out there in jeans or something. But uh, it's all stuff you need to take seriously out there. Because even if you're fishing outside the harbor, and if I say I'm fishing near shore, but I'm outside the harbor, that might still be I'm a quarter mile from shore. So... In that situation, that's still really far from shore. It's just, it's still considered near shore for Lake Michigan, though. <laughs> right, yeah. So, but, I mean, you think about it, you know, being in a kayak, you know, and if you topple over and, you know, you got a ways to swim and that water is 60 degrees, even though it may be an 80-degree day, that'll take your breath away for yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely, especially during the in, in summer when you have those conditions. But, like, right now, you know what, right now it's uh, not even 40 degrees out on oh, the open oh. lake. Man. So, you know, like some of the areas I've been fishing has just been, you know, I've seen a couple of days where it just kind of spiked to like 41, 42, and then you get another cold day and it's back down to 40. Um, and then the open water just isn't warming up yet. So those are the situation, like open water is where you really need to, to make sure you're, you have all your safety stuff taken care of. And, then in, in, and not only that, but in some of the other harbors, like Milwaukee Harbor is a really big harbor. So if you're fishing out there, you really need to have all that safety clothing as well, the dry suit and that, because even though you might be fishing inside the harbor, you can actually be really far from shore. Like to get out to the main gap, I don't even remember how far that is, but it's a pretty good paddle to get out there, and you definitely don't want to fall in out there, and especially if you're not wearing the right the right clothing. Right, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I know you've also been doing some, uh, seminars at, uh, Lake Michigan Angler Shop. Um, but I know with, uh, the state of the world right now too, I know you did, was there like a live stream one? We're going to be doing a live stream one probably in a week or two. Nice. Um, normally I have one in the shop and everybody come in, I can, and I'll show them pretty much everything I know about fishing for trout and salmon for the entire year. You know, I, I kind of go through how I start in the spring and get into the summer, you know, how it changes from spring to summer is a pretty big transition there. And then again, going with the September, there's another big transition when the Kings start coming into the harbors. And uh, so I talk about that a lot. And so, yeah, unfortunately we can't do it in the store this year, but I'll be doing some live stuff on Facebook with the store. Nice. Awesome. All right. Uh, Let's see here. Now I know you were also part of uh, the Great Lakes, kayak fishing crew for quite a while um back when they first started um how did you get to know all those guys i actually that that whole thing was actually my idea in the beginning (laughs) so um i don't know i just thought of it uh having a series where we were working with some of the dealers and back then it was a multi-species thing because i'm a multi-species guy you know so i thought it was kind of cool to see who can win a tournament 
when every tournament's a different type of fish. You know, so our first one was a walleye tournament, then we had a bass tournament, and uh, I mean, we had pike tournaments and salmon tournaments and everything. So uh, it was a lot of fun, and you know, eventually everything kind of turned into the bass, which is cool. But uh, yeah, I just kind of we working me and Colin, and more people got involved with it, and. Eventually, we kind of moved on from it, and then you got to take over and did a really good job, and and now Nick's doing it, and he's doing a great job. So, mm-hmm. looking forward to watching everything happen, and hopefully, I can get out to one of those tournaments this year. Right, I know. Yeah, we haven't seen you at one in quite a while. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, you know, family and everything, so mm-hmm. that's always important too. So, you got what? Two kids? Three. Three. You got three kids now. That's right. Yep. <laughs> awesome. That's why I need that big pro angler seventeen. <laughs> right oh, i bet they love it being in that thing mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome awesome all right let's see here what else um let's see here i was trying to think of other questions to ask you um now when it comes to like choosing like rods and stuff for like spring summer and fall do they kind of stay with the same thing do they want to choose different ones it, it definitely changed like in the spring if you're casting for these fish, you know, like right now, I've caught a lot of the fish just casting in the harbors. And you can catch them trolling, but, you know, I take advantage of this time to catch them casting. And I typically use spinning tackle, but bait casting tackle work good too. Um, something medium, medium light, uh, 10 pound floral, uh, or like a copolymer is what I like to use. Uh, you know, just something you can cast small crankbaits with and jerk baits and stuff like that. Uh, even um like a float rod will work pretty good just even a panfish rod if you're gonna float fish you know one really good technique for a spring uh, spring and fall brown trout is uh tube jigs under a bobber and you know you don't hear about it much anymore but bass guys especially smallmouth guys used to do a technique called float and fly where they basically fish a hair jig under a bobber and so if you Google that and, and and find the information on how to do that, that's basically the same thing that we do for these brown trout and steelhead. But we typically, and the hair jigs will work, but we use a lot of just um, plastic tubes as well on a light jig head, like a 16th or 32nd ounce jig head, just a two inch or inch and a half tube with a waxworm on there. And you just cast that out and you just kind of twitch it and pause it and, and, and bring it in. And there's days where there's really nothing that will compete with that. Oh. Um, and you catch small fish, you catch big fish on it. But when they're on that bite, they're on that bite. And uh, so it's one of those things like anybody can go catch those fish, and it's pretty cool, and you don't need any specialized tackle for it. Nice. Um, then if you start getting into trolling, you don't need to have specialized tackle in the spring. But if it's something you want to take seriously, then you're going to want specialized tackle. And that's going to turn into like line counter reels, so you can keep track of how much line you have in the water. Um, and that's going to be really important for your depth control. You know, a bait like a, a flicker shad, depending on how much line you have on it, is going to get a different depth. So I know when I put this out 30, 35 feet, I'm getting down about 8 feet. If I get down to like 45 feet of line, then I'm getting closer to 12 feet. So, you know, things like that get important, and that's where the line counter comes in. But if you just want to go out and try it, you can still catch fish without a line counter. Um, and then... I'm still using lighter rods, like uh, medium and medium light rods are all you really need. I think a lot of people make the mistake of using too heavy of a rod for these fish because they think you're, you know, it's a big fish, you're catching, you need something heavy to handle that fish. 
but the reality is that uh, lighter rod usually fights them a little better. They don't have real hard mouths. They twist and turn a lot, and it's really easy for them to get leverage and pull the hooks out. And when you have a lighter rod with a really nice soft tip to it, uh, it's a lot harder for them to get the hooks out. It just absorbs the shock, the head shakes, and everything a lot, a lot more. And people are often surprised about how light my rods are most of the time. Uh, right. You don't really need to get into any heavier equipment unless you're doing like offshore summer fishing, which is a whole different ball game. That's where <laughs> things get complicated. Um, but yeah, you like almost anything will work. I, you know, especially this time of the year, I really, you know, or almost any time of year, I really like ugly sticks for trolling. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. most uh, there's a lot of people out there that don't really kind of look at them as or don't take them seriously for whatever kinds of fishing that they do, but. Um, they're a really good action for trolling. Um, that kind of fiberglass action is what you really want. And it can just mm-hmm. bend over, and it's perfect for fighting fish right next to the kayak. Yes, um, it is. <laughs> so that's, what I, uh, that's what I caught my king on uh, last this past September was on a uh, ugly stick. Yep, you can't go wrong with it. And, then, and of mm-hmm. course, they're super durable, and they're not very expensive. And that, that's the other thing with the trolling tackle. You don't need to spend a lot of money on trolling tackle. You can buy a 30 or $40 rod. And it's going to be totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't need to worry about how sensitive it is or any of that kind of stuff or, you know, what kind of graphite it is or, <laughs> you know, or what kind of handle it is or how it feels in your hand because you're going to put in a rod holder anyways. Um, none of the things that make expensive products, what makes it expensive, matter for trolling. So just go with the $30, $40 rod. Um, it's nice to have a better reel. Um, but you still don't need to break the bank on that either. Uh, the main thing is just to have a line counter. So even you can spend, you can be out the door for less than a hundred bucks, uh, and have a pretty decent trolling combo. Uh, once you get into summer fishing and we start paddling offshore and fishing deep water, then we start fishing some heavy weights and lead core and stuff like that. And, uh, that's when we need heavier rods. We might use a medium, medium heavy, uh, to handle like, this is a torpedo weight right here. So hold it up weighs, a little bit further. There this, you go. Uh, this weighs 12 ounces. Holy cow. Um, but that's, you know, that's what allows us to fish 50, 60, 80, 100 feet down. Wow. Um, that kind of fishing isn't for everybody. That's, you know, if you're going to take Lake Michigan real seriously and try and fish it all year, that's the kind of tackle you need to do or use. Um, and, uh, but that's uh, like, if you're not going to do that, you don't need anything specialized really nice <laughs> crazy crazy but yeah if anybody's uh interested in uh learning a little bit more exactly what kind of gear um what some of these terms are and everything um you can always uh hit up rob or uh when the world goes back to normal uh stop into lake michigan angler uh to take a look for yourself um so hopefully we'll uh, get back to uh, some normalcy here in uh, the next couple months, crossing our fingers. Um, but uh, let's see here, what else is there? Um, hmm. I don't know. I I think I've kind of actually asked everything about that I have. Um, do you have anything else that you want to add? Well, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I can talk about. <laughs> right. Point me in a direction and I can go. Um, right. You know, so like we were getting into summer fishing a little bit, and summer fishing starts to change from spring fishing. And you know, spring fishing, we use a lot of, like, those Dodgers. 
We fish. Mm-hmm. You can typically catch the fish shallow, and then what happens is as the lake warms up, it forms a thermocline, and once that happens, then we start to switch over a little bit from uh, coal fishing to targeting the king salmon, and uh, that's when that's when he's it, that's when you get real serious with everything. Uh, that's when we start going out further and further and start talking about how many miles offshore we are, and and, and you know fishing anywhere from 40 to uh 100 feet of water uh or sometimes more some guys go further than that i typically don't but there are other guys that do um these days i kind of wait for fish to come near shore and then and that's the kind of the, the thing with lake michigan fishing and salmon fishing is that differs from a lot of other fishing is that the the daily or seasonal movements can change so much in a day um you know when you're when you're fishing for other species of fish and you have a lake, you know, whether it's a small lake or a fairly good sized lake, you kind of know, you know, at this time of the year, the fish are going to be in this area, in this kind of depth. And then as things progress, they might go a little deeper. And you, you have like a general calendar of where a lot of these fish are. Um, lake Michigan's in some ways not like that. Like outside of the spawning season, like when the fish are spawning, you know, they're going to be in a harbor or in a river somewhere. Um, but outside of that, uh, they're not always, you know, in May, they might not always be in shallow. They could be in, they could be in shallow the first day of May. And then because of whatever conditions change, they could be 10 miles offshore two days later. Um, but the conditions change really fast on the lake. And these fish basically don't relate to structure the way other fish do. They're pelagic fish. They're relating to water temperatures and just following bait. So, what happens is once you form that thermocline, then you have these two layers of water that just kind of slosh back and forth. And there's a lot of, there's a ton of currents out there and I could go on forever about that, but you can get really hot weather and the surface temperatures are warming up, but that hot weather brings in some South or some West winds and it'll flip the lake over say in the middle of July. And now all of a sudden all those fish that were in 150 feet of water you know, eight miles out are now in 30 feet of water, a quarter mile out. And that's when you need to be able to get out. You need to be able to be good at predicting that or have an idea of when you can guess when those fish are going to be there and make sure that that's when you're fishing in your kayak. Um, Because it's, I prefer to catch them when they're in 30 feet of water. Uh, So that's the cool thing about Lake Michigan. It's cool and it's frustrating at the same time, waiting for those conditions. And then if they happen when you can't go fishing, then you're waiting again because it might only last a day or two. And then the rest of the time you're stuck going out deep. Um, But there's a lot of different things that affect where the fish will go. And being able to read the water is important to water color. You know, if you get into really clear water, it's kind of sterile looking. You probably won't catch too many fish. But if you go down to the lake and you see a nice green nice green water that's probably gonna be pretty good fishing um especially if it's cold green water uh clear but green tint to it um so there's a lot of different things to kind of if that's all you're gonna do at least if you want to be like me and fish lake michigan on a regular basis you kind of learn to read those things and then figure out where you can get in the water and and not have to paddle as far to get to deep water um so, like, if you're in Chicago fishing, I wouldn't recommend really fishing for trout and salmon down there during the summer because it's so flat down there. It takes forever to get to 
deep enough water. I don't even know how many miles it is to get to 100 feet of water. It's way more than I'd ever want to paddle. But if you go further north, then 100 feet of water is only like three miles or less. Oh, wow. Um, you know, like where I'm at, where my shop is at North Point Marine and Winter Harbor, it's 3.1 miles to get to 80 feet of water straight out of that marina. So it's a pretty good haul, but it's way better than being down south. Um, so, there, you know, it kind of gets a little complicated sometimes during the summer. But uh, that's when you catch some big fish. That's when you catch a lot of fresher fish. Um, and that's when they often fight the best other than in the spring. It's a lot of fun that way. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about, you know, how weather affects everything and, like, the thermal uh, columns and whatnot. So, like, when it comes to, like, winds and stuff like that, what what do you really pay attention to with that? With that? Like, is there certain, like, wind directions that are favorable, not so favorable, not only just for, like, you know, conditions for, you know, yourself out there, but, like, fishing conditions? Well, as far as just, like, safety goes, I like to make sure it's under 15 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's almost any direction, depending on how deep I have to go. Like, um, once you get above, once you get like above 15 miles an hour, that's when the waves really start to build. Mm-hmm. So try to avoid any direction. You know, if it's, if I'm fishing really close to shore, I can tolerate a west wind that's heavier than that. But for the most part, 15 is the limit. And I also am looking at what the winds were prior to when I'm going, because, you know, if we had north winds, for two days straight at like 15 and 20 miles an hour and then i'm gonna go fishing on that third day because it's west wind so it's probably still gonna be wavy you know you gotta give it a good day to calm down after a really nasty blow like that so you look at that um as far as when i want to fish you know for you know when i'm gonna be able to get fish near shore uh i'm gonna be looking for west winds and south winds to flip the lake to bring the fish in closer to shore at least during the summer um those winds tend to push that warm actually a south a lot of people don't even realize the south wind probably does it the fastest everybody always is waiting for west winds but i'm usually waiting for a south wind the south wind seems to flip the lake over the quickest um now in the spring like right now if i'm fishing offshore uh for cohos uh you know or i should say near shore for cohos um i actually kind of prefer a light east wind for that because what that's going to do is keep warm water near shore um theoretically at least doesn't always work that way but (laughs) you know like right now i'm going to be looking for warmer water for the most part east wind will be pushing it against the shore um and then once that thermocline forms is when i start looking again for the south and the west winds and then once we get like into september i'll still be looking for the south and the west winds because i want that water to get cold again for the kings to come into the harbor uh, they'll definitely when they get ready to, to spawn and they stage they definitely come in no matter what the water temperatures are but uh if you can get into cold water the fishing's gonna be a lot better interesting <laughs> lots of different things to take into uh, consideration there um now talking about eating the fish so um i know i've heard different things about how often you should eat uh lake trout or stuff like that what what is like the the recommended thing so i know a lot of people will either smoke the trout or just bake them like is there preferred ways that you should cook them and eat them and all that other stuff well as far as like the advisories go you could just ignore them (laughs) awesome because (laughs) 
the here's the thing with the advisories and the way that they came up with the numbers for it was what they did was they took fish like lake trout, which are typically high in PCBs and that, and they take the whole fish and they threw threw it in a blender. And that I mean that's everything. They didn't do anything to this fish. They just threw the entire thing in a blender and then they tested it for toxins. But the thing is with all the toxins, they're located all the toxins get like deposited into the fat, they get deposited into the bones, the organs of the fish. They're not really in the meat. Mm-hmm. So these advisories, which I actually don't even eat enough fish to meet the advisories anyways, but um, the advisories are based on those levels, like if you're eating bones and organs. Okay. So if you're just going to fillet the fish, like, well, not everybody just fillets them. Some people do eat the other stuff, but um, like I typically just fillet them. You can eat a lot more than what the advisories show. So there have been private studies done where all I did was test fillets. And they were much lower in toxins than uh, than the government ones. And mm-hmm. uh, the other thing is, like, you know, I I like to, I'm kind of snobby with the fish I eat. I'm picky. <laughs> um, you know, not every, I, I, there's a lot of people that would gladly eat the fish that I don't want to eat, and that's fine. They like them, but I'm picky. Um, so I like to eat cohos, and I like to eat steelhead. And I like to eat kings. Um, I don't like to eat brown trout that much, even though I catch a lot of them. Um, some people do. And so I don't like lake trout all that much. It depends. But like cohos, they're only in the lake for three years. Actually, they're only in the lake for two years because um, they're stocked when they're a year old. Um, so there's not a lot of time for those fish to actually accumulate any toxins. Uh, whereas like a lake trout, say you have a 10-pound lake trout, that fish is a pretty old fish already. And it's been in the lake a long time, and it's had time to accumulate some toxins. Uh, but they're still nowhere near as bad as what uh, the government advisories would say. So, yeah, I like to eat cohos. You can pretty much prepare them any way you want. You can just eat them plain. Just throw them on a grill plain, and they'll be fine. Um, I think my favorite way to eat cohos is blackened. Mm. Um, so I typically save all my cohos for the grill. And uh, steelhead for the grill. And I like to eat kings a lot, too, but I usually smoke the kings just because I have hopefully have plenty of cohos to, <laughs> to eat on the grill. The kings are good, but they're not as good as the cohos. Mm-hmm. And that's why I just save them for the smoker. Right, yeah. But I know in the fall time, when it comes to kings, you can't always eat when you catch them because sometimes when they get to that zombie stage, they kind of fall apart. <laughs> yeah, they don't. Yeah, they're not quite as good eating. Now, it's not going to hurt you to eat them. They're not right. poison or anything. But, but yeah, they uh, they're just not as, like the meat starts to turn white. You know, they're malnourished fish at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not eating. They're just on that one way mission, and they know there's no coming back from it so they yeah the meat starts to get paler and paler kind of a yellowish white um and you know the fish transforms doesn't look anything like it did a month prior or even two weeks prior where it was this big chrome silver bullet and now it's just brownish green ugly thing um it's not even the same shape anymore and, and when they get to that point um they definitely don't taste as good um but you can still smoke them you know, if I'm eating, you know, sometimes I'll keep some of those fish and you can smoke them and they'll be fine. Like smoking kind of covers up uh, a lot of bad taste. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, 
<laughs> so you can still smoke them. And, they're fine. And, and I shouldn't say that they're bad because there's a lot of people still like eating them. And I used to as well. When I first started fishing for salmon and we'd go and fish in the rivers and I'd bring home a stringer full of nasty looking salmon, just some boots. <laughs> and, and I was totally fine eating those. Like I thought they were great. Until I started eating little silver cohos, and then, <laughs> and then I didn't want to eat those other ones anymore. So it's just what what your palate is. You know, my palate changed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But there's plenty of people still like eating those nastier kings, and <laughs> I guess I shouldn't call them nasty, but um, you know, they taste good to them, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I wouldn't discourage anybody from eating them. That's for sure. Uh, there's plenty of worse fish out there to eat too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I save those for the smoker. Kind of like if my rule of thumb is, you know, if the scales fall off when you catch the fish, that you know it's gonna be a really good eater. Um, coho scales. I mean, well, if I if I go out and catch my limit of cohos, my five cohos, I guarantee my boat's gonna be covered in scales. <laughs> and then brown trout, like spring brown trout, the ones you catch in some places right now, like. Up in Oak Creek at Bender Power Plant, some of the ones in Milwaukee, some like the ones you don't catch inside the harbor, like I've been catching lately. Um, the younger fish that I haven't matured yet, those you'll get them and the scales will fall off, and those will be really good eaters. Mm-hmm. Um, I would keep them if I was fishing for them. I'm just typically looking for the bigger ones that aren't good eaters. Uh, but those, yeah, if you get a good fish and the scales fall off, you know that's going to be a really good eating fish. Um, steelhead are almost always good. Um, and when, like, if you get kings and the scales fall off, you know that's going to be a good eater. If you can kind of brush them off, if they don't automatically fall off in the net, if you can kind of brush them off with, like, your pliers, then you know it's going to be pretty good. Um, what you'll notice is once they get into their full-on spawning mode, that their skin gets a lot tougher and thicker, and uh, the scales don't fall off anymore. And that's usually when you know that the meat is going to be different on the inside of the fish once you cut it open. Gotcha. Good to know. Um, how far upriver will the salmon and trout go up to? They will go a lot farther than they're even able to around here. Um, wow. You know, like the Root River, one of the main salmon rivers for kind of the southern Wisconsin to Chicago area, you know, that one's in Racine. And they go to the dam, and I forgot, that's probably like maybe four miles of water. I could be wrong about that, but it's not very far, and they have no problem reaching that. But we have Pike Creek, this tiny little creek that's in between here and there, and it doesn't have any dams. And those fish will go 20, 30 miles up this little tiny creek. Oh, wow. And that's, and that's still nothing compared to the West Coast, where these fish will go 40, 50 miles. Right. Um, so even steelhead, steelhead go really, really far. Um, that's why, you know, steelhead on the West Coast are all in the ocean. So they all enter, you know, at least in the in the lower 48, they're all entering rivers that go into um, Washington and Oregon um, and, and Northern California. And these rivers are pretty long rivers, and these fish will make it all the way into Idaho um, hey. and Montana. So... Uh, yeah, they, they'll go pretty far as long as the river allows it, if there's no dams or anything stopping them. Mm-hmm. And, and they do it in a short period of time. These fish, are, I mean, they travel thousands of miles throughout um, their lives. Uh, even in Lake Michigan, you know, they'll we regularly catch fish from Lake Huron. And we could be on a school of fish one day off of Kenosha, 
and the next day they're already in Milwaukee. Wow. Uh, they'll move miles and miles and just hours. So it makes it hard to keep up with them sometimes. Mm-hmm, right. So what is, like, I know you talked about cohos. They don't have a very long lifespan, but what about some of these other ones? What's the typical lifespan? Is it comparable to their size? Like if it's a really big one, does that mean it's an old fish or not necessarily? Well, with like king salmon, you know, the, the salmon kind of have a set lifespan. You know, the, the cohos live three years and die. So they, they're in Lake Michigan for two years because they're stocked when they're a year old. Um, same thing basically with the kings. They live to be four, then then they die. Uh, so they get to that size, you know, 30 pounds in four years. Uh, trout, on the other hand, don't have a set lifespan. So they can go up a river spawn and they'll survive as long as nobody yanks them out of the river and go back out in the lake or go back on the ocean in the case of the, um, on the West coast and live their life out there. And then the following year for the spring or the fall, depending on the fish, come back and spawn again. And, you know, those fish can live, definitely live over 10 years, depending on the conditions and lake trout on the other hand, could live even longer than that. Lake trout can be 50, 60 years old. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I forgot. I, I forgot what, like, a 10-pound lake trout, how what the age is that. But it's got to be around 8 years old to be 10 pounds. Wow. I, I, I'm going to be in the ballpark. I know I'm not exact. I can't think of it offhand exactly. But, you know, they had uh, a guy caught a, a fish. I think it was like a 30-something pounder a couple years ago. The fish was older than the guy that caught it. He was oh, like, my gosh. Because wow. they had a stocking record. They had a fin clip, so they knew when the fish was stocked. Oh, so wow. lake trout live a, a long, long time. So you mentioned about the, the fin clips. You know, what's what's with that? So the, the DNR, to kind of keep track of fish, um, as they come back or as they're caught, you know, they'll know when or where they were stocked. They'll clip the, some of the fins on the fish. The main fin that they clip, and this is a fin that other fish don't have, is an adipose fin. And that's located in between the dorsal and the, uh, the tail. And um, so that lets you know right away that it was a stocked fish okay. and not a natural fish. Uh, and then sometimes they'll clip one of the other fins or even the mandible, the jaw, uh, to signify when or where that fish was clipped. So I can look at records. If I caught a fish, like a brown trout, and it had uh, an adipose clip, and then say it had like a pectoral fin clip, I can go back in the DNR records and say, oh, this fish was stocked in 2016 in Racine. Oh, wow. Well, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, so it's kind of their way to keep track of, um, of how big the fish are getting, where they're going, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I'll regularly catch fish in Kenosha that were stocked in other places. Oh, wow. Um, so it's kind of interesting to, to look it up sometimes. And then different strains, too, because, you know, there's brown trout, and then there's this rainbow trout slash steelhead, and there's different strains of those fish, though. So they stock, you know, four different strains of steelhead in Lake Michigan, they used to stock two different browns. At least Wisconsin used to stock two different strains of brown trout. Now it's just one. So there's, and they have their own characteristics as far as when they come back to spawn. Sometimes their physical characteristics are different. Some of those fish are more like longer, slender fish like Skimania, um, which there's a ton of them in Indiana. And more kayakers need to be taking advantage of that during the summer because <laughs> uh, they get really big down there. And, uh, 
they uh, they are typically a summer running fish, so they start running in mid June in July, uh, and that's unique to those fish. Now they still spawn in the spring, but they'll if the conditions are right, they'll start running up those creeks in Indiana in June. Um, other other ones like there's Ganaraska, there's Arley strains. You know, some of them are more like September, October, where they start coming into harbors. Some of them we don't see till winter. Um, so that's how they keep track of that is with the fin clips. Okay. Yeah, and I know when uh, when we've had the Great Lakes tournament up in um, uh, Manitowoc, uh, the DNR will be there, um, and they'll take uh, the core samples from the head uh, looking for the chips. Uh, I guess that they embedded them, too, to uh, kind of help with their research as well. So it's always cool seeing those guys there uh, taking all the measurements and everything. Yeah, it's pretty cool. They put, when those fish are in the hatchery, and they're only like this big, uh, they put a coated wire tag in their nose. And uh, that's why they cut the, they just cut like the nose off the fish and then take that sample. And then they can get all sorts of information from that little tag that was in their nose. Mm -hmm. um, and isn't it, what is it that they can also tell the age of a fish by like lines or something in their, not their scales, but something they, else? They can check from their ear bone. The ear bone, that's, that's right. Um, I, that's, I think that's the most accurate way to do it, is their ear bone. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, and I forgot how that works, but that's uh, a pretty accurate way to, I mean, you can kind of know how, if you've caught enough trout or salmon or if you target them a lot, you'll kind of know how old the fish is based on the size. Because mm -hmm. you can tell, especially with salmon, because they grow so rapidly, you know, to get to 30 pounds in four years, that's really, really fast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, so there's there's a huge difference between age classes. So you can instantly tell the difference between a two-year-old fish and a three-year-old fish and a three-year-old and a four-year-old fish because they're almost doubling in size every year. Mm -hmm. Um or more than that, really. So uh, you almost don't even need to really age the fish. You can kind of tell. But sometimes you get a fish that will, uh, you get like a really big fish. Like there was some cohos, like one last year and one year before, that were like 20 to 25 pounds, which is absolutely enormous for a coho. It's basically like record size cohos for the Great Lakes. And a lot of times those fish are fish that never came in to spawn when they were supposed to. So for whatever reason, they didn't mature, but they kept growing and then they matured like the following year. So when all of its brothers and sisters were dead, cause they went up and spawned, this fish was still swimming and then they caught it. So you see that. And actually some of the really, really big brown trout that have been caught, um, they got so big because they never came in to spawn. They were just kind of sexless fish. They never had the urge to come near shore to go up huh. to a river or anything. And they just stayed deep. And eventually somebody would catch just like 36 pound brown trout. And okay. then the thing about it was it wouldn't have any sex organs. So it would be, wouldn't be a male or a female. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. That's crazy. Now, um, what is the primarily, uh, food source for these fish? The main food source is alewives. So they're kind of like a shad. Mm-hmm. And there's other stuff, too. There's gizzard shad and gobies. So brown trout eat a lot of gobies. They eat a lot of gizzard shad and whatever else. They're pretty – brown trout are different in that they don't follow the big schools of alewives like salmon do. 
So they kind of stay in their home range, and if there's alewives there, they're going to eat them. But if there aren't alewives there, they're going to be looking for gobies. If the gizzard shad come by, they eat those. You know, they'll eat anything. They're just hungry fish. Whereas salmon, on the other hand, they really like to eat. Um, they really like to eat alewives, and they don't really like to eat that much else. Although they will eat other stuff, they definitely prefer the, the alewives. And so their life revolves around just following alewives. Um, so it's kind of like what you've seen on like National Geographic or Discovery, where you have those in the ocean, those big balls of like herring or whatever bait fish. And you've got all those fish just kind of getting them into a tornado and swiping at them and stuff. So that, that's basically what the salmon are doing um, all day, every day. And uh, so you'll see that on your electronics too. You know, so you'll go over a big ball of bait and you'll see the, the arcs around it. And you know that they're feeding on it. Um, it's kind of a cool way to, to get a feeling for what the fish are doing. Like there's been a bunch of days I've been out and you see just clouds of bait along the bottom and you're not catching anything. And then all of a sudden the clouds of bait are coming up near the top or you start marking it all along the surface. And now you're catching fish because there's feeding fish pushing all that bait up to the surface. Oh, man. So, and then the key thing is there, you know, that's another thing, um, like color selection with these fish, uh, you know, in other types of fishing, a lot of times we're matching the hatch or like, oh, these bass are feeding on crayfish or they're feeding on shad and or they're feeding on bluegills and we're trying to put on baits that look like that kind of stuff. But in the case with these salmon, you don't really, you know, there's a, they're just chasing this school of like a million alewives and they know what they all look like. And if you're just trying to drag another alewife through a million other alewives, you know, it, the fish are never going to notice it. It just nice. so using things that stand out is kind of key. So if you go went through my store and looked at like all of our spoons for trolling for salmon, it, like the the color schemes are, you know, nothing natural at all. Or <laughs> they look like they're you know radioactive practically. So you know just stuff like that, and you know you you want it to stand out. You know that's the key. So pique their curiosity, catch their eye. And and that that will get them to bite. Um, lake trout, they'll eat um, a lot of gobies and alewives. They eat a lot of everything. They're kind of garbage disposals. <laughs> and steelhead, actually, steelhead and coals, they eat alewives a lot. But they also eat a lot of flies. Um, and, the, and in their whole lives, too. And even when they're big and you think they'd be going after a bigger bait, they'll still eat flies. And so when you go out there and... You got a lot of flies bugging you. Like if you're slapping your ankles a lot, those fish are probably eating those flies. And then you just like on the Dodger setup, you know, put a fly behind a black fly, like that, just a little black fly, and you catch coals and steal it on that. Um, so in that case, you are kind of matching the hatch. But mm-hmm. uh, so, but yeah, they they eat a, they have a pretty big variety to their diet. Um, baby salmon will eat a lot of a lot of flies too. But um, the kings, when they get bigger, it's pretty much all of their lives. Mm-hmm. Now, do I know when, you know, the salmon and trout are younger, they might have some enemies. But when they're the size that they are, they don't really have any predators to watch out for, do they? No, not in Lake Michigan. Yep. Um, so they have a lot of predators when they're young. You've got the cormorants and you know, they stock these fish in the harbors and the rivers and they're full of pike. 
and these brown trout that, you know, you've got like a bunch of 10, 15 pound brown trout around, they're going to eat everything that goes by them, including other brown trout. In fact, <laughs> you know, some like I've had really good luck using um, swim baits that were looked like brown trout to catch oh, brown nice. trout. Um, so, yeah, they have to make it through a gauntlet. But once they get to probably, I'd say, two to three pounds, there's really not a lot of real predators for them because, you know, we have some big pike in Lake Michigan, but they're not really following these salmon all over the lake. These fish move around so much that they can get away from it with the few predators they have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and plus the pike have a lot of, there's a ton of suckers. I don't think people realize how many different kinds of fish and what kind of <laughs> populations there are of like so many different types of fish in Lake Michigan, but there's a ton of suckers and they're a lot easier for pike to eat than salmon. <laughs> so I think they, and the same thing with whitefish. And so I think a lot of these predatory fish, like the big pike and there's muskies too, they tend to look for easier fish to eat than salmon. Right. Yeah. And I know sometimes too, when you, uh, catch a salmon, sometimes it'll have a uh, lamprey attached to it too. <laughs> yeah. I'd say that's probably their biggest predator is really just the lamprey. Mm-hmm. Um, once the fish get to, you know, a size when the other fish can't eat them because, uh, there's nothing else. And a lot of times they shake them off, but yeah, they, they can hurt the fish quite a bit if the, they're not able to, but um, you see them a lot on lake trout. You don't see them too much on like brown trout or steelhead. Occasionally you do, but and then sometimes on kings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know sometimes at the Great Lakes tournament, I know a couple guys will talk about they'll even show the the bite marks that have been left on the kings from lamprey. Yeah, before, it looks like they've so. got a hickey on the side. Yeah, <laughs> it does. <laughs> now, um, I know that there's been, I don't know if it's not yet confirmed reports about um, the Asian carp making their way into Lake Michigan yet. Oh yeah. I, you know, I don't even worry about that to be honest. I've been hearing about it for as long as I can remember now. Right. To be honest, I don't think they're a real threat to Lake Michigan. Right. Um, Because the thing with these fish is that they're filter feeders and they're in places like the Illinois river, which are super, super fertile. And, these fish can just open their mouth anywhere they want and get a, you know, a full meal. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they get into Lake Michigan, it's practically sterile compared to that. Right. Yeah. And I just don't see them wanting to stay in Lake Michigan. <laughs> and the other thing is so cold. Um, not that they couldn't adapt to the cold, but uh, I just don't see it as there's probably been, there's probably been Asian carp making it into the lake already. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just never going to take off. What like other lakes and river systems probably that are connected to Lake Michigan would have more to worry about. Right. Um, if they made it into those, but the lake itself, Lake Michigan, I don't think it's ever going to be an issue unless, um, something really changes with the lake, but. Right. Yeah. 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 Right now we're in the opposite direction anyways. So, yeah. uh, But yeah, they're not an issue here. I could see them maybe being an issue on Lake Erie and then some of the rivers out there that are, a lot more fertile. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Awesome. Uh, let's see here. I did have another question. Um, I lost it. Um, something about when you're in a kayak and you're around other big boats. Oh yeah. So like 
when you're out there, um, you know, whether it be spring, summer or fall and, you know, you got to take into consideration, you know, you might have a couple hundred feet of line behind you, but, you know, kind of another thing to take into consideration as well is like all the boats. Cause I know at the great lakes tournament, sometimes like that Harbor will just be full of people trolling for salmon. Yeah. So, and, and they're used to fishing around other boats. They're not used to fishing around kayakers. And a lot of the kayakers, especially in the tournament, aren't really experienced um, fishing around boats like that and fishing around people that are trolling. And so the tough thing with that situation is you've got boats that they pretty much follow a pattern. They're, they kind of go around the harbor. Like they might just like everybody goes counterclockwise or something. And then all the kayakers come in and they just do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And then they stop and take breaks right you know or they got fish on and they can't control it because you know like when a boat gets a fish on they just keep going and just keep right. keep trolling until that fish is in they, they get away from everybody but in a kayak you can't do that so easily so they um sometimes it can be a little bit of a messy situation um but when i am fishing around other boats first thing i make sure like this is what i tell everybody is just pretend like you're invisible because you might not like a lot of people don't realize how hard the kayaks are to see in some of these boats, especially the bigger boats. Mm-hmm. Um, like a guy in a thirty-foot boat, which isn't even big for like Michigan, he can't see you at all. Like it's really difficult. And unless you spent time fishing in a boat like that and driving boat like that, you don't even realize it. Um, so first, pretend you're invisible. Just get out of their way. Don't try and say, "Hey, I I was here first, or I have the right of way, or anything like that." Because it doesn't matter who has the right of way if he can't see you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just you have to be mindful of where those boats are going. Like the kind of thing that bugs me, my pet peeve is, you know, when somebody cuts in front of me, which doesn't really bother me until they stop to take a break and stop paddling. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have to stop. You have to stop. So they yeah. take their, you know, so make sure you keep moving. If Especially if you're going in front of the, another boat, just go, maybe speed up and get out of their way. Um, so stuff like that. Uh, when you're fishing in front of a harbor, you know, you're, you are kind of blocking um, an entryway to the harbor that everybody's supposed to be using. Uh, so technically, you're not supposed to interfere with that. Um, and you can get in trouble for it if, you know, if if the Coast Guard came and said, hey, you know, you're blocking boats from coming in and out, you could get a ticket for that. Um, so you definitely don't want to spend much time right in the mouth of a harbor or something or a marina when uh, there's a lot of boats around and it's just a dangerous place to be to begin with. Mm-hmm. So if I can, I try to avoid fishing around Harbor mouths. Unfortunately, sometimes those are really good places to fish, yep. but um, depending on the time of the year, the cool thing about the kayak is you can launch it anywhere you want. You don't have to fish a Harbor. You can launch it on a beach anywhere and then you can really stay away from a lot of the boat traffic. Mm-hmm. So you definitely want to have a flag. It's something I didn't really talk about earlier. Um, I have a strobe flashlight, like a tactical flashlight I use um, if I'm out in the dark that make, just to make sure they see me. Like, I'm really well lit. I, all the, I have lights all around me. <laughs> and uh, another thing is that I don't use the red and green lights. Um, I just want white lights on my kayak. So. Right. I'm not a fan of the red and green for the kayaks, at least. Uh, and just, yeah, you just got to be mindful of everybody and 
just get out of everybody's way if it's really busy and maybe find a different place to fish. Right. A lot of times that works out better anyways. <laughs> yeah. And always remember that sailboats always have the right of way too. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't try and get into it with a sailboat. You're gonna lose. <laughs> oh man. Um gosh, let's see here. Um Oh yeah, the other thing I was gonna say too is um don't uh, when it comes to buying lures and stuff like that, you are not going to want to use that stock hook on there. You're going to oh. change that out. <laughs> yeah. So these are regular flicker shed that I custom painted, but every one that I use, I've switched out the hooks and the split rings. Um, mm -hmm. So these on here, that's a, that's an owner, the ST 41s. Um, I think that's on all these. Sometimes I, uh, Gamagatsus I like too. I think this one might be Gamagatsus on this one. Uh, and there's a pretty big difference. Like these are, I didn't just change out these. These are stock ones and they're just, they're not good enough, especially for the Kings. Like you might be able to touch some cohos on stock hooks. Um, but once you rip them out of the fish's mouth, you're probably going to bend them anyways. Um, for the Kings, there, they, there's no, if you're, you're lucky to land a fish at all with the stock hooks. So beefing them up, going to some good hooks, spend the money on some good hooks. I really like owners and I really like Gamagatsus. Um, I put on, uh, I use Roscoe Snap Swivels, which is the same company as Sampo. So it's pretty high quality, made in America split rings. Um, so everything is, I mean, everything is really upgraded on here. And then, uh, again, this one was actually two split rings on each oh, hook. Nice. Um, and, I mean, it even weighs the bait down. They don't float anymore. So. <laughs> but it makes a big difference. It really mm -hmm. does. Uh, on the cohos, it's not as serious. Brown trout depends on the bait. I might switch them out. But king salmon, you definitely have to switch out your hooks. Yes. Um, and these baits, you know, they're not really met. Like when and that, you know, that's where another thing that switches up. Like once we get into um, the fall, like there's a big transition. So like in the in the summer, you use a lot of spoons, um, very thin lightweight spoons for trolling. Or we use, you know, like flashers and flies. So this is kind of like the Dodger that I had earlier, just like a bigger version of it, a little bit different action, um, and then a bigger fly. But it, the principles of it are kind of the same. And uh, once, you know, that's a good summer. I use that a lot in June, July, and first half of August. And then, you know, once we get into closer to Labor Day, then I start switching over to more crankbaits. Um, these baits just aren't designed to catch salmon. So they're designed to catch walleyes, mm -hmm. and so they don't come with good stuff. Reef runners are another really good bait. Their yes. hooks are terrible. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> you can't use any of those. There's a lot of you know a lot of really good bass or walleye baits out there um, that will catch these fish. KVD crankbaits catch a lot of kings if you're using them. Um, Rapala DTs. I've caught tons of kings on those in September. But you have, you have to replace all the hooks on them. Oh. And then you also can't get upset when you break the bait entirely. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's a little bit of the frustrating part is, you know, you can get one of these baits and spend the money to put brand new hooks and everything on it. And then the fish just breaks it in half. <laughs> First fish you get on it breaks it in half. Yeah. Um, but that's just, you know, that's what keeps it fun, though. That's, what, that's how exciting these fish are to get. There's, not, there's no other freshwater fish around here that are breaking lures in half. 
So they're definitely the biggest rush. That's why I keep going after them. Um, you know, they, I like going for that Slayer ride. Um, they'll drag you pretty far. Um, <laughs> I've been, I did get dragged into a, a boat one time by by a king, and it wasn't even a big one. Uh, I think this, like there was a boat like anchored about two hundred feet from me, and the fish just dragged me right into it. Oh. This is before this is before I had a Hobie. So I couldn't control the fish, and I was just, you know, you're at the fish's mercy. And, uh, yeah, hit, I still ended the fish, though, so. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, so, yeah, besides, you know, that incident, have you had any other, like, interesting situations with fish? Like, um, you know, not necessarily, like, bad situations, but, uh, like, maybe, I don't know, like, what's the most interesting thing you've had happen while out fishing for salmon and trout uh you know it was pretty cool experiences when i caught my 26 pound brown that was during salmonorama so that oh, one yes. won salmonorama for me that year um but the cool thing about that fish was i actually wasn't catching very many fish that day and i was getting really frustrated with myself because the conditions were like perfect for me to be doing really good in the kayak so we had really cold water near shore it was perfect water color there was a ton of fish in there so it's only in like 15 feet of water and the big charter boats were going by me just cleaning up on fish. I mean, every time they went by, they had a fish on like these 36, 40 foot boats. And I was like, how am I getting my butt kicked so bad by these guys? I should be, it should be the opposite. I'm in this <laughs> stealthy boat, not making any noise. You know, these guys are going by just pushing a ton of water around, making a ton of noise. And I was getting really frustrated, and I stopped and trying to come up with, like, my next plan. And uh, there's one thing, like, when I'm trolling, I never, ever stop, other than to, like, take care of a fish I just caught. Like, cause in my, the back of my mind, there's always a fish that's about to bite, so I never <laughs> want to stop. But this, I just got so frustrated this day, I stopped. And I was like, I'm just going to switch out this bait that I had, like, 100 feet behind me. And at this point, it was just dragging on the bottom because I wasn't trolling anymore. So I decided to just reel it in as fast as I could. And it was behind me. So I looked over. I knew it was coming close. So I just looked over my shoulder. And I saw the spoon come up. And I saw this brown trout come up. And in the split second that, I mean, it was only like a foot of line at that point between my my bead and my rod tip to the leader. And that split second, I instantly knew that was the biggest brown trout I ever had. And the next thing you knew, it was like on. And that's like watching, at least like you're out in the open lake like that, um, having follows and watching fish come up and actually be able to catch them is a pretty rare thing, even with just small fish, but a fish that size to come up and do that and actually be able to land it i mean it was like the whole fight i was super calm the whole time even though i knew it was the biggest brown trout i ever caught or was going to catch and it never took out a lot of line it just kept digging and digging and going down so i'd probably never had more than eight feet of line out the entire time the whole fight but i could see the hooks in the fish's mouth you know it, it was on a spoon so it was just one, one treble hanging off the back of the spoon and you know she would just thrash around and then dive down you know, a couple feet and then come back up and thrash around. And after she did that a few times, I could see like there's one less hook in her mouth when she stuck the next time she, and then, you know, we we're down to the point where there was one hook of the treble left in her mouth. And I was like, it's just like now or never, I got to get her in the net. And I, you know, I made like kind of like a false 
reach for her and you know got another thrash out of her and then i got her head back to pulled towards me and i just and i stuck her with the net and and i got her and then i got the shakes a little bit because <laughs> <laughs> right. that was i mean i'd been seeing some big browns i've I'd caught some big browns, you know, my biggest brown before that was 24 pounds, but this was a totally different fish than that one. And I, and I had no idea how big this fish was. Like it was like a 26 or a 30 or whatever, you know, I couldn't tell, I couldn't eyeball it. So it was, uh, it was a pretty cool experience and it was a long, long wait and car ride and everything before I could actually weigh the fish in. So, um, I think I had to drive, I drove for like two hours before I was able to weigh that fish in. Oh um, so it was kind of nerve wracking. I was like, I don't, I don't have a clue how big it is. It's 30 pounds, you know? So it was, uh, it was pretty cool. But then when I got there weighed in, a guy just weighed in a 30 pounder in the boat division. So nobody thought mine was big anymore compared to the 30 pounder. Right. <laughs> oh man. Wow. That, <laughs> that's I probably, remember... <laughs> That was pretty, you know, there's a lot of different things that have happened to me over out there. Like even just getting dragged into the boat, that was a pretty cool experience. Uh, um, but yeah, that, I think that's so that brown trout always sticks out the most to me. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember my first time catching my first king and that was quite a trip. And I wasn't even sure if it was a king when I caught it either. I was like, I've never caught like salmon <laughs> trout before. So I don't even know what this is. And I brought it in the shore and I was like, is this a king? You guys are like, yep, that's a king. <laughs> <laughs> They're hard to tell when they, you know, if you're not used to look at them every day, mm-hmm. once they get into that fall, those fowler colors, you know, the darker colors, then, you know, they can be kind of confusing sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, man, yeah, I was just in my little, uh, in my Hobie Outback uh, at that time too. Man, that first one, man, she took me for a ride. <laughs> they will drag you. Like I said, there's no fish around here that will do that. Yeah. Um, like, they will drag you. If you let them drag you 100 yards, it's no problem for them. Yeah, yeah. And then they'll come, the, you'll get them up, and then once you get them close to the boat and they realize that they're close to the boat, zzz, they're gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that's, that's like a, the key thing. Like, don't don't be in a rush to get them into the boat. Let them tire out, you know, a mile away from you. Yep. Um, that, you know, fighting the fish is, is a, kind of a skill. Um, especially with the salmon more than anything um, because a lot of times you've got more than one line in the water and you don't want to get yeah. tangled and like I don't like reeling in my other lines in a lot of situations I want to keep them out there um, so fighting the fish is, is being in a hobie makes a big difference you know because you can pedal around and keep the fish you know to one side of you or you know steer it cut it off from getting to certain areas obstructions and stuff like that um, in, in a regular paddle kayak you know, obviously you can do it. I did. I caught plenty of fish, but you, you definitely at the fish's mercy. So, mm-hmm. like the key in that case is keep your rod pointed at your bow, and that way, no matter which direction the fish is going, you always keep the rod pointed at the bow. That way, it keeps the bow pointed towards the fish. Oh, good to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, and each season it's different too you know when i've been up there fishing for them you know because sometimes they'll just they'll pull you on a sleigh ride for a long time and then this past september i felt like it was nothing to bring that one in it was just like and i was like kind of disappointed i was like oh that wasn't much of a fight <laughs> yeah yeah it, a lot of times it's the water temperature mm-hmm. if you have colder water they're gonna have a better fight than in warm water um so that changes it 
uh, or you know, a lot of times I'll see a difference in the way they fight. From like a male fight, it's different than a female salmon, yeah. especially with the kings. Um, the, the the at certain days it seems to make more of a difference. Typically, the males run harder, longer, um, fight a little harder than than the female kings, and then or the female chinooks, I should say, mm-hmm. and then. Um, like the, a lot of times, the females kind of dig more and stay down more. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, but, I can definitely attest to the to the males fighting harder. It seems too. Yeah, it was not uh, last year, but three years ago because I missed eighteen. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. seventeen. Yeah, when I was there because I stayed there for a couple days, and the day was the day before, or day after. I got into a male, and man, he just kept on going and kept on going. I was like, dang. <laughs> yeah. They'll go, I mean, you know, for the most part, mo- like most of the time, you can land a fish. You know, once you've done it a lot, you can land a fish in like 10 minutes or less. Mm-hmm. But you, once in a while, you just get that one that just, you can't do anything. It just <laughs> stays down. You know, you can't get it, you know, as soon as you think you're going to get it close to net, it's just right. You're going to take just enough line out just to stay out of your range and netting it and you know those are the ones like they don't take a big run but they just stay down right below your kayak like with 10 or 15 feet of line out those are the ones that you're in for the long haul (laughs) you know i don't think i've ever had one that took like an hour or anything i've heard a lot of stories of guys that they caught their they took an hour you know to land it and they had their gopro video to prove it but uh (laughs) i'd say like maybe 25 minutes probably the longest i've ever fought a salmon yeah. yeah. yeah but it's still a pretty long time. I mean, there's no other fish around here you're doing that with. So. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What other, yeah, what other place close to home, you know, for mm-hmm. us central folks can you go to get something like that? So, yeah. yeah. It's really unique. You know, it's, it's something more people need to take advantage of, really, because yes. even though, you know, it's somewhat of an artificial fishery, it's still one of the best fisheries in the world. And even compared to West Coast salmon fishing, they're, they're kind of in a lot of trouble out there. So we have something pretty special. The size of our fish are really good, um, really big. And that's for all the species, whether it's brown trout or steelhead or kings and crows, they're all getting really big these days. Um, they're good eating fish. And, you know, it's something you can only catch here. You know, you're not catching them anywhere without traveling pretty far. Right. And I, I'm surprised more people don't take advantage of it sometimes. Right, I know. Yeah, you know, it just I always think about that sometimes too, and I'm like, well, what is it, you know, that keeps people from going out there, you know? And I think it just might be because, you know, maybe they just don't have the knowledge of what they need, or it could it, be an t- intimidation too of the lake itself. Yeah, I mean, it's an intimidating lake, and yeah, we fish a lot of different things. Like if, you know, nobody shows you how to use a dodger, right? Then you, you know, it's hard to to run them. Um, but that's why we have a seminars at my shop. Um, that's why we do the videos and, and everything. And like anybody, like once we kind of open back up more to the public, you know, anybody can come in and we'll, we show people how to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I do every day is talk to people and show them how to run Dodgers and, and use different types of divers and use the planer boards so they can go, whether it's, it doesn't have to be in a kayak. I mean, boat fishing, shore fishing, whatever, um, show people how to catch trout and salmon because once you know how to do it, it's really not that difficult. It's just knowing how to use the tackle. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing because you don't use this kind of tackle. You know, when it comes to trolling, at least, you know, with the dot, you don't use that for anything else. Yep. Yep. 
Exactly. Yeah, I just have one box of uh, Sam and Lewis, and that's it. Like, that's all I have for my gear. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? For, like, I mean, I, you spend most of your time fishing for the salmon, like, when the Kings are in, mm-hmm. which is really one of the most fun times of year to do it. Oh, yeah. Because um, you don't need the Dodgers, and you don't need 12-ounce weights yeah. or anything. But, yeah, you don't need a ton of stuff to do it. You know, some, some Flicker Shad, a couple Thunder Sticks, a couple Reef Runners, a DT or something. Whatever, you know, bass ones you have will probably work, too. That's all you need. I mean... That's that's it. You get some a couple of different baits to cover different parts of the water column, and a few different ugly colors. You know, at that time of the year, you want to be super ugly to piss the fish off, and <laughs> yep. um, so something maybe glow in the dark. Um, and, and you're set for you know September. Um, and the same thing like right now, like yeah, I, I mean I'm going out there with like six boxes of baits, but I could probably get away with six baits total, and right. still be fine catching these fish. Um, and you know, another thing is you can live bait them. You can just sit with a bobber and a, a shiner or a minnow and catch them too, or a spawn sack. And, you know, there's, you can do that and catch them as well. Um, so yeah, but I encourage people to try it. Definitely like right now, even for shore fishing, a lot of your bass tackle, especially, uh, jerk baits and stuff are going to catch these fish. Um, and that's going to keep working for a while, probably okay. a good month. So just pick a harbor that's accessible at the moment. Yeah. And and there's going to be brown trout around. Every harbor has brown trout. Nice. And coho should be caught near shore, too. I, I, like, today, the water is a little dirty out at the mouths of the harbors, at least around here. Um, but that'll probably change pretty quick. And then, uh, you know, cohos will be around, and you can catch those on a variety of baits, too. Sometimes even just, like, shrimp under a bobber. <laughs> nice. Yep. Nice. Awesome, awesome. Well, good deal. Well, man, this has definitely been a uh, interesting uh, talk with you today. I mean, we're at about an hour and a half now. <laughs> but hey, when we're talking fishing, man, we can talk all day. Yep. All right. Well, um, I'll leave it here for now. Do you have anything else that you wanted to touch on real quick before we uh, head off? Well, you know, if anybody has questions, you can shoot me a message on Facebook or uh, call Lake Michigan Angler. Number over there is 224-789-7627. Um, you know, anything really, just feel free to ask me anything about, you know, what, if you want some of the lures that I use or planer boards or anything, I can set you up. Um, I can show you how to rig things, whatever you need, I can do it for you. Um, figure out where to go fish and any of that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, just let me know. I'm always happy to help out. Awesome. Good deal. And yeah, if, uh, if you're interested in uh, chasing any fish this weekend, I'm actually thinking about uh, heading up to uh, some Wisconsin uh, places to uh, head out on the lake uh, myself because, uh, you know, Illinois uh, decided to close their DNR facilities. But hey, what better way to spend the time chasing some salmon and trout? So yeah, but yeah, get a hold of Rob and he'll be more than happy to answer your questions for you. Yep. So, all right. Well, thanks again, Rob, for coming on and uh, talking salmon and trout with us today. And uh, everybody else, we will see you on the water later. Go check out the website, guys. Paddle the letter N and fin.com. Also, check out YouTube, youtube.com forward slash paddle and fin. If you got a question, comment, or want to hear from a future guest, feel free to email us at paddle the letter N and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to 
follow us on social media. We're doing giveaways, announcements, things like that at Facebook and Instagram at Paddle and Finn. Shout out to our show supporters, Rocktown Adventures, Leveling Canoe and Kayak, Hammered Lures, Fish Mob Lures, TRC Covers, Catch Products. Go to catchproducts.com. You can put the Paddle and Finn logo right on your catchboard. Don't forget to go over and pick up your Jig Masters jigs. Use promo code PNF20 and save 20% today. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. It helps grow the audience, helps others find our podcast. So please drop a five-star rating in on the podcast platform you're listening on. Don't forget about the recycled plastics program, you guys. Take your used plastic baits, put them in an envelope, mail them to the address in the show notes. Our man Eric Richards at Hammered Lures melts those down, makes new baits, and donates them to various chapters of Heroes on the Water.